everyone and welcome to the June 21st 2016 edition of The Way with Anoa. Hi everybody, hope you're doing well. I am back from Chicago. People say it. Whoop whoop. Um yeah, so I'm not necessarily as I'm being honest, not as prepared. We're going we're going we're going to couple things happened on today, but I really wanted to just get right in and talk to you guys about some news, live updates. Um we have a, another primary coming up next week. What? Primaries? I thought we were done with primaries. Yes. The New York State primary, um, congressional elections, et cetera. Zephyr Teach Out next Tuesday, um, June 28th. We are a week out. Um, that is a big, big seat, right? Um, there's just a lot going on right now. So first, I just want to say hi. Welcome. Thank you, everybody. Um, shout out to folks who I met. So I was at the People Summit um, Friday through Sunday. Uh, met some folks who actually watched the show. So shout out to you guys. Hi, Anthony. You know, hi, everybody else I met. Um, there are people who like, oh, I recognize you from Ben, or they know Ben's show, right? Like a lot of people know Ben's show, which is very cool. Um, shout out to Jordan from the Young Turks. Because uh, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I collaborate with Benjamin Dixon. He was like, oh, I know Ben. I was like, very cool. It's kind of cool when you go someplace, so a big event like that, and it's like, wow, people actually know and are aware of the content that we produce um, and put out there. So very cool indeed. I'm going to get adjusted a little bit better. Sorry, you guys. Um, so that's pretty cool. So People Summit. Okay. So as I've talked about before, People Summit was an opportunity to kind of convene, you know, um, the primary race is technically over. We still have the convention, of course, you know, but there's been so much effort, so much work, so much organizing from the campaign side, the get grassroots side, um, National Nurses United, People for Bernie, uh, Democratic Socialists of America, Progressive Democrats of America. So many different organizations came together and organized the People's Summit, right? Took place at McCormick Place, beautiful venue, huge, huge venue, beautiful venue. Um, awesome time. Got to finally meet Yvette Carnell in you know, the flesh. Um, actually, there's a pretty cool video. I tweeted out with her and um, Arami, who is the funky academic. Uh, check them both out on Twitter and on uh, YouTube and Facebook um, talking about uh, the black vote, the black vote in Bernie and basically how black voters killed Bernie Sanders. It's pretty funny. Um, it's not necessarily what you think. It's it's pretty funny. Um, you definitely should go check them out. If you have not already checked out breaking, you know, content from Breaking Brown before, Definitely go check out that and everyone else over there. Uh, really, really good stuff, right? Um, so, but this was the opportunity. This was the opportunity to get to meet 
with other folks who have been building kind of on this this left side of, of movement building that we've all been engaging over the past uh, year for the most part, right? Um, there were some really great breakout sessions. I was really excited. I got to meet Linda Sarsour Friday night. I was I was barefoot. <laughs> I was barefoot. I was exhausted. It was late Friday night, but it was really really awesome. Um, but aside uh, aside from the who's who progressive, you know, people watching, I did. Um, there were some really good uh, breakout sessions, and of course, Nina Turner gave an amazing speech as always on uh, the Saturday afternoon session. I mean, to 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 hear Nina speak, I've heard her speak at a rally before, right? I've I've seen her speak in videos. I have never been so close to that woman. The energy she exudes is amazing. Nina, whatever you do, <laughs> we are all here for you. We we are absolutely all here for this. Like seriously, whatever Nina Turner does, there is an army ready, waiting, lined up for you. Um, so again, so there were really great breakout sessions. There's a really good opportunity. I got to attend um, one particular panel called Media and the Movement. Um, which is pretty relevant because that's what we've been really heavily focused on here at the Progressive Army is movement building, being engaged as a progressive voice. You know, Ben has done a really good job of showcasing different information and stuff on his show. Project Sanity has has done stuff on their show. I do what I do on my show. So so it seemed very, very um, important. And the panel was uh, consistent of Lee Fong from The Intercept and Sean King. And I am drawing a blank of the editor of Yes Magazine. Um, and there was another young woman on the panel as well. Um, kind of blanked them out. Uh, sorry, no diss. But um, it was a really good panel. And one of, the, one of the best things I think that I got out of that panel was from Sean King, who said he is not an independent journalist, right? He works for, he is a staff writer for the New York Daily News. He has been an independent journalist previously, but he is not one now, right? What he said, though, was he is able to do and say what he wants within a mainstream news outlet because he has the following to back up his message. And there was so much conversation about building our reach, building out opportunities for those voices, but also building up that support. Like we have to support the work. So I have to support the work of my fellow, you know, truth sayers out there. Um, you know, we, we need you to support us to make sure that we actually have representative, you know, information building and media access, right? Um, so I, I thought it was really good, but one of the interesting points, and this is actually a thread that kind of run throughout, that was an unspoken issue with the, the summit. Like I said, it was a great opportunity. You know, people came from all over and got a chance to meet and build. I got to sit down with women that I hadn't been working with, women and men I've been working with through Women for Bernie and Afro-Americans for Bernie and People for Bernie and other organizations over the past year, had not met several people in real life in the flesh. And that was so valuable to actually sit down and have conversations you know, face real time with people, right? Um, there was no one, you know, definitive answer to the what's next question. A lot of people have their different ideas, you know, different organizations had their booths, shout out to People's Revolution. People's Revolution occupied, in, in true occupied fashion, occupied space <laughs> at the People's Summit and, and, and basically utilized a booth that had been um, paid for by another organization that was not able to staff it. Um, so, I mean, there was, there was a lot going on, you know, um, some of you may have even saw on Twitter how Jill Stein was, um, miffed because she was not permitted to speak on Friday night. 
Um, it's not very clear exactly what happened or if she had been completely denied, you know, ability to be there at all. The Green Party did have a booth on site. They were tabling and um, getting signatures on site as well without any issues. So it's, uh, that's not really clear. It does seem that maybe she showed up and wanted to speak and was told no. Um, if that is in fact the case, you can't just show up at events and demand to speak and then get upset about it. Like that's just kind of petty and not really a, a mature way of doing things. But anyway, um, but the, but the, but but one of the things that happened there and that I think is a very good point about all of this movement building. We're so focused on a rah rah moment and kumbaya, and we're all together and we're all one and Bernie's for all of us. But here's the thing. We cannot disregard opportunities to address where we need improvement. We can not fail to address opportunities for where we have made miscalculations for things that continue to be overlooked and disregarded. So one of the things that in the session we were all in, the media and the movement session that Yvette Carnell Brown, um, Carnell Brown, <laughs> Yvette Carnell raised was the lack of support for black media by the left, by progressives, right? The lack of support, not just for, for, for uh, you know, black media, but for black voices in general. There were strategically placed voices of color throughout this weekend. But as I've made comments about safe spaces isolated over here and there, you know, of course, there was a great delegation on Juneteenth, which was, you know, for those who are not aware, Juneteenth is, is June 19th. It is the day where the last slaves in Texas found out they were free. Um, so there was a great delegation of blackness represented there, but there was not necessarily a clear ability for voices of color or traditionally marginalized groups across all areas. We're in a session and trying to answer, ask questions. And, and at the outset, we want a diversity of opinions and want a diversity of people speaking. Okay. I don't think we all as progressives have the same concept of what is considered diverse, like not at all. It got to the point where three members of our table, we had five black women sitting at a table. We were pretty much right in front of the moderator in the panel. And we had five black women sitting at a table. And my, my, my mentor, Stacey Hopkins, who's been on the show before, um, had to make a sign because seven, it was either six or seven people, all white, had been picked all around the room, all around us as hands at our table remained up. And it was not until Stacy made a sign and people started taking pictures of the sign. It is when people started taking pictures of the sign that we finally got addressed and Vet was able, finally able to make her point concerning the lack of attention to not only black voices, but particularly the support for black media. And I thought this was a very interesting point considering the fact that we've had all this conversation narrative around why Bernie Sanders did not do better with black people. Why are these progressive groups not doing better with black membership? You know, why do we not have more black people engaging with democratic socialists of America, for example, or progressive Democrats in certain areas, right? Like some places do better, you know, some, some places do better. But when we look at these things on a national level, the representation, what we think should be our, 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 our natural allegiances isn't panning out. And so she had a really good commentary around these issues, as well as she pushed back on this notion about citizen journalists and how anyone can just pick up and just become a journalist. And she's right. It is very, very hard work. I only do this once a week. It is so difficult. So that was just like one point of one, um, one point 
of one session I was I participated in, but that was really good. I think there were other sessions that were also really good that were active working groups, like kind of how to's, you know, we participated in a breakout, my younger sister and I, about how to identify potential down ballot candidates, talking about state and local level work, really building on Bernie's call from last week, right? And so there were some really good sessions that helped people kind of begin to think about how to do the next levels of the work. And I think that's what's the most valuable thing that came out of the summit. Now, one of the other criticisms that the feedback I got, I actually got to spend some time with some friends from high school. I went to high school in Chicago um, and we're at dinner with um, we're hanging out, eating ice cream and stuff with my friend's parents and her, their guests, their friends um, are union folks, local grassroots, politically engaged people in Chicago. And apparently the criticism from their side of things is that one, it was not very widely publicized outside of social media. Um, so locally, you know, certain local groups and organizations were not directly contacted or invited to participate. Um, it, it was just very interesting. There were some questions about where things were coming from. You know, how do people choose which organizations were involved and engaged? Were these organizations really representative of the local community and local activism in the Chicagoland area? I mean, it was it was a very informative and enlightening conversation. And I think that we really need to, as we continue to do this progressive work going forward, really need to look at how we're engaging on the when we're doing, even if we're doing national work, how that is impacting the local communities where we're located, right? Because we had this really big, you know, event built as this progressive powwow that really actually had more of a narrow, what seemed like a more narrow focus of, you know, the Bernie, the Bernie crew only. And even in that instance, was everybody, you know, invited and involved? Um, I'm not taking a side either way on that, um, like I said, but it was really interesting feedback to hear from people who are active involved in the community who do support Bernie Sanders, because I, I immediately smiled when I walked up to the house. Um, I, I, you know, I walked up to the house and, and there's a Bernie sign in the window. So I was like, oh, your parents are my type of people. So I wasn't expecting to have this conversation, but it was really valuable. So it was a great weekend. People Summit, I think overall, I feel like it was successful because one, it brought together people. It's keeping the conversation going. And we managed to find a voice to carve out space and to pinpoint areas of needed work and improvement. So that is my summary of the People Summit. I really thought it, thought overall it was a good opportunity. I know there's been some other criticism about whether or not this was being used as an opportunity to triangulate people towards Hillary Clinton. Ultimately, people had different agendas. We all, but that's that's indicative of all of us, right? But there was no one voice saying you need to do this if not the overall resounding message that was at least stated was where we're bernie we're in for the long haul progressive movement is moving forward and we all need to have a voice in shaping what that looks like so that was the people summit definitely go back and check out there was live there was a live streaming happening real news was on site um definitely check out some of the you know some of the clips and stuff from this weekend because it, it was some really good stuff um turning to today some of the news from today. Well, some of the news from yesterday. Um, I know Ben already discussed a little bit the the recent SCOTUS case. Um, basically for Fourth Amendment protections in terms of search and seizures. Um, yeah, this is a long line of cases that has, like I said, eroded the protections of the Fourth Amendment. I mean, the fact that we are now saying that, uh, you know, even if it's, you know, in, in this in this specific instance with an illegal search, it's a don't know big. 
we're going to still let the evidence in anyway. Um, really, what I want to talk more about, just just a little bit about, is the fact that reasonable suspicion. This 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 standard of reasonable suspicion is 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 actually rather low when you compare it to probable cause and preponderance of the evidence. You know, in civil suits, preponderance of the evidence is you know, um, it's more likely than not that you know X Y Z happened or so and so you know did whatever. Um, and in a reasonable uh, beyond a reasonable doubt is is the standard in our criminal cases. Reasonable suspicion is a very ambiguous, um, it's a very ambiguous standard. It relies on a lot, these standards of reasonableness that we have in our in our, in our jurisprudence, um, when we're talking about police behavior is actually very subjective. There isn't a real definitive, definitive objective standard, despite the, allegation that it's subjective. I mean, often what is considered reasonable by police officers really relies heavily on sanction ability to racially profile and do tons of other things, right? Like like reasonableness. Like, like even if we're talking about what is reasonable in terms of use of force, like there's a whole conversation around police behavior and engagement that needs to absolutely happen at the highest levels that does not. But yet we continue to have the Supreme Court making such decisions in a vacuum as if all these other issues do not exist. You know, in terms of what is reasonable and in terms of whether or not reasonable suspicion exists to, um, you know, to, to, to carry out these types of searches, I mean, it, it is it is highly problematic. It will continue to be highly problematic. And we will continue to see when we're talking about we want to equalize the criminal justice system and we want to deal with these issues, we have really bad law. We have really bad law that has come down from the Supreme Court. We have really bad statutory and, and constitutional interpretation. And we're not going to see, you can't have real meaningful reform without addressing some of those, those serious issues, particularly when we're talking about Fourth Amendment protections um, from unreasonable and unlawful searches and seizures. Like that's just it in a nutshell. Um, so I just wanted to just throw in my little two cents. I don't want to necessarily relitigate, so to speak, everything Ben already discussed with the Sotomayor dissent, which is, you know, I mean, she's she's had a couple of these dissents on this particular issue since she's been on the bench already. Um, there is a case, though. The SCOTUS does have a case coming up that is going to address abortion. And I had my notes. Yes. Um, uh, SCOTUS is going to be. Uh, they will. Well, I just also the other case was they refused to hear a challenge to the Connecticut, um, the Connecticut law banning the sale and possession of a large assortment of semi-automatic rifles in large capacity magazines. You know, that is this Connecticut law that was passed in the wake of the Sandy Hook massacre. Um, and that they, they refused, they basically upheld, effective refusing to hear the challenge basically means they upheld the state, the state legislation on that issue. And as we're talking about all this gun control stuff, it'd be interesting to look at different states and the measures that they've used to address these issues and whether or not we could adopt similar models. You know, we need to look at model legislation on a state by state basis, right? We can't just wait for Congress to do something. Um, we need we need to act on our own and, and 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 getting state legislatures to promote or to pass. It might be harder in some areas than others, but it's definitely something that is that is a worthy that is worth our time. I mean, it really is. We need to be active, engaging process. And instead of just getting really emotional and say, you need to do something, you need to do something, you need to do something, we need to really take the time to think about what that something should look like. One of the conversations we had internally, you know, today with PA is about gun control. Um, David, our, our producer, shared an article from The Guardian discussing whether or not 
all this conversation we're having around gun control, you know, we know about, you know, Senator Murphy's um, filibuster last week. I was actually kind of annoyed. He sent out a tweet yesterday about the number of people who had died while he was doing the filibuster. What's interesting with all these statistics that are used, one, they use statistics that include suicides. And there's little to no conversation that ever goes on about mental health. And mental health, you know, we need to change the course of conversation on mental health in this country. But we also, mental health is a health issue. And we cannot talk about access to mental health without talking about access to affordable health care, a health care for all. Like, seriously, how can we say we need to address mental health and we disregard the fact that people do not even have coverage to get the help they need? And, and it bothers me as a parent. It bothers me as, a, as an individual. It bothers me as someone who has struggled with depression and anxiety myself. It bothers me that that people's struggles are used to pad the numbers for someone's argument about policies that may or may not even address the actual underlying major issues. When we're talking about gun deaths in America, the majority of gun deaths in America are actually suicides. Of those that are homicides, the majority, I believe the number from the Guardian article we saw today was 70% are caused by handguns. Yes, these mass shootings are alarming. They're, they're horrifying. It, it is horrific. We have become desensitized to the massive numbers of killings that occur every single day and primarily in urban areas. And we need to, we need to stop. We need to stop being desensitized because that is an epidemic. Shout out to Brandon from PA. Who, 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 made, who made that point earlier today. It is an epidemic. We need to be studying. We need to be understanding what is going on. We need to be making comprehensive and rational decisions. You know, what is happening right now is not going to address the vast majority of gun deaths, the vast majority of homicides by gun. It's not. It's a small dent in the bucket. And that is a real problem. Like, seriously, we need to stop rushing to say, you need to do something. You need to act. Because you know where that got us? Post-September 11th, that got us the jacked up laws that is Patriot 1 and Patriot 2. Seriously. We have plenty of examples of bad law because people just react. We need to stop with reactionary legislation. We need comprehensive common sense legislation. And this, what, what, what's being proposed right now, I see the Senate Republicans are proposing some more crazy amendments today. This is not it. This is not it. And we need to press pause. Um, apparently California is going to start studying, um, gun deaths, um, and, and the effect of policies, uh, enacted laws enacted to see, you know, um, if there's any impact we need, we, we need, Congress will not fund and permit studies on gun deaths. That is something we need to be advocating against. That is something that needs to be on the table. How do we know what will and will not work if we do not actually study research you know, look at this, look at the information available. The fact that we have people going on and on about <laughs> someone else correcting me about assault weapons when really we're talking about certain semiotic, semi-automatic weapons was, was an interesting point as well. I mean, the fact that we're going on and on about semi-automatic weapons when most weapons used are handguns, handguns. Yes, universal background checks would be a good start. But what does that do to address the pandemic issue that is occurring on many in many of our neighborhoods, which is systemic of disinvestment, lack of opportunity, resources? It is more than just a gun control issue. 
we have to look at the wraparound issues, the the, this, the deeply rooted issues affecting our country. Also, we're not going to see a meaningful decline in gun deaths. We're not. Otherwise, we're just pandering to people's emotions right now. And you can be mad at me. You cannot disagree. That is absolutely fine. I welcome dissent. You know, hit me up on Twitter, Miss Nono ESQ. You can email me the way with the Noah at gmail.com. But that's what I personally think about what's going on right now with this gun control debate. I mean, we have a whole lot of talking right now. It's an election cycle. People are puffing out their chest trying to prove, you know, they can do it better. This is political theater. And it's sad. It's really sad. Because we have a lot of issues that need to be addressed, and this is not the way to do it. But yeah, so the other case that was being um, addressed by SCOTUS is coming up is um, an abortion case. It's Texas HB2. Um, and, you know, the, 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 con the, the idea is that this is a really important case. I mean, this is another affront, another threat to, um, you know, Roe versus Wade. I mean, to the, to the right to access, not just for... You know, this 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 upcoming ruling is a huge ruling. It, it definitely would impact um, women of color uh, overwhelmingly. Um, you know, and it's 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 interesting because we just saw with the Fourth Amendment case, uh, we had a five three split with Justice Breyer, who I believe was a Clinton appointee, um, siding with the more conservative majority. In that case, um, with the eight eight on the with with only eight justices in the court, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this Texas case. I mean, um, because as we've already discussed, if we have four four, if it's tied, that means the case there's no um, there's no final resolution. The case just goes back. Whatever whatever the original, whatever the, the appeal decision is, that that decision just stays stays in. So um, from this from this article in Uproxx. HB2 has already caused clinic shutdowns. If left in place, the law could drive down existing facility numbers from 40 to 10. Um, that's a problem. And when you're talking about such a large state like Texas, such cutbacks causes huge issues for people in terms of access, in terms of transportation, um, to need a health care. And also, it's also driven up the prices of the procedure, which disproportionately affects low-income women. Um, when you have this coupled with the reluctance to provide active and affordable care, I mean, they don't, they want to limit your access to abortion or, or make it not possible. They don't want to provide affordable birth control. Um, I mean, they really make it difficult for people, particularly poor people, poor, poor women, uh, women of color, effectively control and have a say in what happens with their bodies, um, with, 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 with their, with their physical health. And this is a problem, you know, um. Uh, uh, I just found it. So a tie, if, if the decision is 4-4, it would leave the appellate ruling in place and uphold the Texas law. So uh, we basically need to sway, you know, a 4-4 decision is like, it's crucial um, if this happens because it, it, it wouldn't only apply to Texas, but still it would leave Texas women without any real recourse in this issue. And um. I mean, you know, oral arguments are set to start and we'll see what the conversation is going to be around this case from the court. Um, we saw, like I said, we saw that Justice Breyer went the other way. I don't know if maybe Roberts, you know, who will swing 
And if Justice Breyer will side with the three women on the court and then also they swing over one of the more conservative leaning judges. Um, I don't really know how if, if Obama's existing to be um, even seated for confirmation. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how he would swing. I have not Hi looked there, at his, his no record me. recently to see how he would swing in this instance if we had a full court right now. Sure, but this is this is part of the reason this case right now and the fact that it's only 8-8, this is part of the reason why having the 8-8 court is so detrimental. Yes. Hello. So I have a special guest tonight. Um, <laughs> very last minute. Really, really excited. Um so apparently there was a dust up today in the New York Dems. Um, and I have a guest to come on to explain a little bit more about what happened. I was not on Twitter because I was being a good employee at work today. And I logged in tonight and I saw a statement from um, New York for Bernie. Basically, um, yeah. So I will let my, my guest come on and introduce herself. And we can get to talking to you a little bit more about what happened today in New York. And... Yeah, this is kind of exciting right now because I'm really actually flabbergasted because I'm a big fan of hers. <laughs> I'm about to fangirl a little bit, but um, hello. Well, can you hear me? Sorry, I had to apologize. I'm yes, on the streets of New you. York, Hi. so I'm trying my best. <laughs> hey there, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to talk to us. Um, welcome to The Way with Anoa. Um, everybody, this is Nomiki. Nomiki, I'm really excited to talk to you. I appreciate it. I'm excited to tell you what happened. I so so um awesome. So, I, I, so I'm gonna I just wanna say like like I just hit up Momita because when I saw it was Momita, I got really, really upset. I mean I was already upset, yeah. but I got really upset. So if you can kind of just give yeah. us a little bit of background of what, what was going on today with with with, with um the Dem New York Dem um uh, with the delegate yeah. convention and and then what happened. So um this was a meeting that was where the Bernie delegates and the Hillary delegates were to come together and mm -hmm. essentially vote on a few different things. Three really very basic procedural things, like who is going to replace the delegates that suddenly couldn't make it. And then one very big thing, which was who was going to be the New York chair of the delegation. And why that's significant is that that's the person who even though it's just an image thing, it's the person who is on camera when they, they yell on the convention floor, uh, New York State supports so-and-so. So, -and -so. so uh, the, 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 the Hillary supporters decided mm -hmm. that that was going to be uh, our governor, Governor Andrew Cuomo, who's currently under investigation as well. Um, not as well supported as even Hillary was in New York, and Hillary only came in, you know, with 48% or 46% of the vote. He, um, he had a very serious primary a couple of years ago, uh, not very well liked by the state. All the papers are constantly criticizing him. So you could see why the Bernie supporters would naturally be questioning uh, why Andrew Cuomo would be the nominee, even though the insider secret is that Andrew Cuomo runs the Democratic Party in New York State. So right, and we thought, his last and his most recent antics with the BDS um, executive order. I mean, there's so many, like you said, there's so many different reasons why that is really right. problematic having him officially in charge. Right. I mean, this is a man. 
man who campaigned on anti-corruption, set up an anti-corruption organization, uh, the Moreland Commission, and then shut it down as soon as the Moreland Commission started investigating him, and is now under investigation by the U.S. Attorney. So that's who we're dealing with here. Um, he's definitely not his father. He's no Mario Cuomo. Uh, but with that all being said, we decided as a group to learn from the lessons of how the media portrays these, these conventions. We met as a group prior to this uh, meeting, this unified meeting with the Hillary people that, this morning, and we said, okay, we're going to follow Robert's rules of order. We're going to motion. Um, we're going to do motions properly. And a lot of us have been involved in the Democratic Party, you know. My mom was an elected official in New York, in, in New York. Like, she, you know, I was raised around these people. You know, I like personally, I know Robert's rules of order. And I think a lot of people in the room knew it. And they were very respectful of that. But essentially what happened was when uh, the, the secretary of the New York State Committee stood up, um, you know, he was going through the, 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 the motions. He said, are there any motions to object whether or not uh, Andrew Cuomo is the nominee and like 20 people stood up and said, you know, motion to object, motion to nominate somebody else. And, and we had all talked about that beforehand and he ignored it and he goes, all right, uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo, he didn't think it was unanimous, but he was like, this is basically done. I forgot the words that he used, but it's on camera. And so they kept, you know, people started booing and this is, I, I forgot to mention that there were about four, uh, Four speeches by elected officials and, and okay. party leaders. You know, there was a dais at the top with all the committee positions. And none of those dais members were Bernie people. It was all was about six people, and they were all Hillary people. A vice chair was just nominated, Christine Quinn, who is also a very controversial party person. She ran for mayor. She... Um, has, you know, she has a lot of questionable background, and she's not liked by the progressive community on top of it. So she got up there, and she started to talk about unity, and then she started to scream at Bernie supporters, scream at them. The, the, the convention, it, it turned very quickly, and people started to boo that. And then immediately after that, we had our vote, and that's when um, uh, he didn't let us object. He just basically, the, 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 the secretary moved past it all and said, that's it. Uh, Governor Cuomo is our nominee, and at that point, I was sitting next to Kat Bresler. I got up from my chair, and I was like, screw this. I walked down the aisle, went to the front of the dais, grabbed the mic, turned it on, and I looked at them, and I said, I don't know if you guys didn't hear us, but there were about 20 people who motioned back there that we would like to suggest another nominee. And he goes, that is it. We voted. It's done. And I said, no, no, no. I don't think you understand. And I pointed all these people that were standing up, objecting and motioning, and we had it all on camera. And they cut my mic, and that's when Momita came up, and all the, you know, a lot of Bernie people came up to the front to support. Right. It's all on camera. And Momita, um, there was a Hillary supporter, an elderly gentleman, who I think we have the name for now, from upstate. Uh, he first hit her, and then she turned around, and she goes, excuse me? And that's when you see it on camera, he hit her with a cane. <laughs> I mean, so there's like there's many things going on here. There's the fact that the Democratic Party was suppressing our voice, not even, I mean, look, they were going to win. They could just pretend to be Democratic. This is not something, they didn't have to pick this fight. It was ridiculous. Um, and, then, and then not only that, you had a Hillary supporter hit a 24-year-old Muslim woman who's, you know, it's their first time ever engaging in politics. It's like, that's, that's unity? Bullshit. And, and, and for so, anyone, if anyone has ever had the opportunity to meet Lomita, like seriously, she is the cutest little, most sweetest, 
everybody, let's just work together person ever. Mumita is a member of People for Bernie, co-founder or founder of Millennials for Bernie. I mean, very active, wonderful woman. And I mean, I don't even think Mumita could hurt a fly. So it's not even like anyone can try and say she provoked anyone or whatever the rhetoric people come out with. Nothing nothing was provoked. Nothing was provoked. Like that's, I wouldn't even entertain that because anybody was there. There were Hillary people. The Hillary lawyer walked up to the Bernie lawyer, Arthur Schwartz, and said, that was not, I am so sorry. Like that, because they all knew. Anybody with a brain knew that just let us vote. Like you don't even have to, it, it, it was ridiculous. And then for this man to be like, you're disrespectful, and then hit Mamita for walking down the aisle. I mean, this is the Democratic Party of New York State. They're losing membership. They're hemorrhaging membership. They lost every single upstate county, every upstate county. And they're sitting here saying it's unanimous. And by the way, that was a closed primary with registration in October. So imagine if it was an open primary with registration at a normal time. You know, we got 42% without anything. Right, right, exactly. Exactly. I think we had an exchange on Twitter once before where we went back and forth about which was more corrupt, Chicago and New York. And you were telling me about how um, in New York State, there are so many uh, officials who have been under either are under indictment or have been under indictment yep. Um, yep. or prosecuted for, you know, ethics violations, improprieties of various sorts. Um, so so what what do you. You know, with your experience and stuff and what you've seen, what what is where do you go? Like what what where do you guys do after this? Like what is the next, you know, step or or are you guys still just trying to figure out like process from what happened today? Right. Well, we issued a statement today. Um, Kat Bresler and I sat there and we wrote up a statement and then you know, we talked to the whole committee and said, Should we do this? We have a, mm-hmm. so we decided to put up the statement because um there was a reporter who who basically had uh you know, asked for a statement from, from Basil Smichael, who is the executive director of the party, and he's a good guy. Um, I'm friends with Basil. Like, I respect him. I think he's in a very difficult position. And so we issued okay. a statement basically saying that because we didn't follow the rules and the procedures of the Democratic Party, um, the nomination is null and void. It's not, it's, it's, it's not valid. And so as a result, you know, that means that the vote has to come up again at the, new, at the, the party convention. You know, and this is all optic stuff. Like, it's not even about, we all thought, we were like, you guys didn't even have to go through this. We knew that he was going to be the, the person, but we at least should be able to exercise our vote. Right. Now, with that being said, hang on a second. Hey, sorry. We got, he's closing my Thank you. Um, with that being said, you know, there was a, um, uh, you know, we, we sat there, we talked, we're like, what's next, what's next? I think what's next, there's many steps. There's the short term, there's the, the middle term, there's the long term. You know, technically we could file a lawsuit over the rules um, and we might do that. Momita, I think, press charges. We'll see what happens with that. Okay. Um, you know, and I think these optics wise, it looks really bad. I think that the party and in, 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 in Dem- the Democratic Party in New York has this illusion that they're stronger than they are. I mean, there are definitely machine style politics still at play and that is what won hillary the election but it is by no means in the numbers that they think it is and and i think they're aware of that but they're pretending that um the machine is alive and well uh, governor cuomo is is basically controlling the machine the way that hillary is contra- controlling um the okay. dnc and like other parts of the country so i think right. the next step is to just run i mean take over these committees get rid of these people you know, they're patronage. They're just like a bunch of, of hacks. 
There's no other way of saying it. They're like, where's our, our job? Get us our job. When Charlie Rangel got up there and he started speaking like cutely, he's like, oh, it's so great. All these young people who got engaged, you know, you didn't have to, you didn't have to march with Martin Luther King. We're in a political revolution. This is our political revolution. People were like, like vomiting in the audience. Charlie Rangel's telling us what a political revolution is and that we didn't have to march with Martin Luther King, who, by the way, he didn't march with. <laughs> Charlie Rangel, who has had his own ethical violations and issues with uh, yeah. public health, holding multiple multiple subsidized apartments, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. I think I, mean, I think one great thing that you also just said is that we need to be if for those who feel value in in, in taking over occupying the party, right? Need to be on those committees, need to get in there and be involved and demand that the voice is heard and that the vote is counted and that that it yep. matters. Um that's a really strong yep. point. Um and strategy I think that people need to to understand exists and and should be a consideration. I I completely agree. And I think that what one of the things that we try to reinforce in our meeting afterwards, because we had a wrap up meeting, was that mm -hmm. the numbers are on our side. So I think a lot of people think that a contested convention, you know, we have no chance. We had two contested conventions in the past 35 years. And of those two, one with, with Ted Kennedy against Jimmy Carter and one with Jesse Jackson, uh, there was absolutely no, I mean, they brought in like one, two percent of the vote. It was nothing. It was like, it was a joke. But they still used whatever they did in that contested convention to leverage. Ted Kennedy got the Hunt Commission. That's where superdelegates were basically um, created and enforced in 84. I mean, they stacked the conservative primaries to benefit the establishment. That came out of the Ted Kennedy contested convention. And in 88, Jesse Jackson, Jackson got some of his reforms. We mm, okay. are literally, this is literally the closest Democratic primary in history. We have so much leverage and we're not even aware of it because we're being dismissed. We have so much leverage. And not only that, we have time. They know this is the this is when one candidate is supported under everybody under forty five basically supports one candidate eighty percent of the vote and nineteen candidates are supported with those over forty five that should say a lot you've got all the Republican candidates and a Democratic candidate split the vote for those over forty five one candidate under forty five we got a lot of leverage. So that's that's a great point too. So, so just I have one question from you from our our producers in the chat room. Um, do you think that like this story because we, we I mean I know you've dealt with it being being a, a present face in the me you know in support of Bernie Sanders in the media you know this narrative that oh the Bernie Bros and it's so sexist in the center. Do you think that anyone mainstream will pick up this story of basically Momita <laughs> being assaulted today? Great question. Uh, I mean, I've pushed it across platforms. I've reached out to my media contacts. I hope. I mean, we've gotten a few people interested, but it's like, you know, they've moved on from, from the debate about whether or not this is a primary. And, like, and, and quite frankly, like, it's kind of sad because, you know, I'm in the mainstream media, and I can't even get the story picked up. Or maybe it's a blip, or maybe right. it's a retweet. But I don't even think it matters anymore. I think that's what's so amazing about this is that despite such – um, complete dismissal of this campaign in the mainstream media, and when it is covered, it's covered in like a condescending sort of way. Despite all that, we've still been able to get in these numbers. I'm just trying to think That's we just don't need them. Like, screw them. I mean, I'm part of it, and I'm like, screw them. <laughs> so...
they're going to realize it. They're going to realize that, you know, a lot of these cable networks have been trying really hard to get millennial support. And I just say, well, maybe you should cover Bernie. That's that's pretty much it. Maybe you should just cover the guy that you're afraid of. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, what, what do you, what would be your prescription for increase, you know, even, even with us, like we, we do, you're right. We do, you know, I'm, I always say I'm an old lady, millennial just turned 35. So we're like, I'm like the first gen, first gen. Uh, I hear you. you know, I'm 32. Know. I get it. I always say that, that, you know, I mean, we, we do, but like so many of us, we are overwhelmingly supporting Bernie, but we, we're like the largest, you know, age group now we've overtaken the baby, the boomers, but like, right. how do we get, you know, all of us active and engaged? Like, how do we get more of us engaged to kind of almost, yeah. you know, no offense to any of my boomer friends out there, but how do we get it to kind of, you know, neutralize them a little bit better? Like what, what are some, just, if you can think of anything, just strategies or, you know, yeah. I mean, it really is. I think this this is the first step of a revolution, and I, I've studied a lot about movement building and protests and how this all originates. There's there's a lot of models, um, but mainly there's right. two models. There's one model that's about incrementalism and building top down infrastructure. And that's the way the Democrats have done it for the past 35 years. That's not going to work anymore. Time is moving way too fast. Uh, people are really connected. Things are happening rapidly. So we do need these movement types of systems. But because of that, because this generation is taking over so quickly, I mean, it's not about millennials anymore. It's about like Gen Z. I mean, I'm a millennial. You're a millennial. We're in our 30s. I mean, my millennial friends have kids. Like, if we're not taking seriously, <laughs> right. that's, that's offensive, right? So right. I think I think what it really comes down to is exactly what Bernie's saying. We, ha- we have to start running for things at every level. It used to be yeah. that the barriers of entry for running for office, and I've run for office, I've ran for Congress. The barriers of entry were money. I mean, you still need to raise money. You don't need to raise what you used to. And how do we know that? Because we've been able to get our message out without buying ads on TV. I mean, yes, Bernie bought ads on TV, but that's not how he reached up. That's how he reached older demographics. You, right. We have been able to utilize this social media world in a way that no one can even imagine. And so I think it really just means stepping up. Is it running for city council, running for local office, running for community boards, running for, um, uh, you know, whatever your everybody has their aldermen. Um, right. It's, 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 it's really embedding ourselves in the infrastructure and taking over. Because when you're not tethered to money the way that these hacks are, I'm going to use the word hack. When you're not tethered to money, you can actually make decisions and compromise. Like, that's the secret mm-hmm. sauce of our democracy. When you don't have to sit there and take cash on the side or run, you know, raise money or cut deals or go out there and raise money for a bunch of other hacks, you're actually able to, like, I don't know, think about policy and do something. And build Right, right, exactly. And that's what we've done so well. We've done it so well, this election cycle. So I do, I mean it. I'm like, I don't, don't wait for anybody to call you to run. Just do it. Fuck it, do it. You know, I sat there in the audience today and I said to myself, my mom ran, my mom was an elected official. And so I'm watching all these people around me and I'm like, I know that guy, I've known him for years. I mean, like, it was a little intimidating. These are people that I grew up around, right? Right. And I sat there in like the, the, the 25 seconds of thought process. I was just like, fuck this shit. They're not going to be around in 20 years. I mean, without, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this, but I was like. You are fine. Go ahead. You are good. (laughs) I was like, let's get up. Who cares? I mean, like, this is about our livelihood. They don't get that. It's for them. It's about 
it's about their livelihoods, but they, they're depending on, on patronage jobs. And we're thinking like our futures. Right. So exactly. I, I really exactly. encourage everybody. Wow. You are like, so even more awesome to talk to than just like following <laughs> you on Twitter and watching you on TV. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> me this evening. Like, I'm, I'm going to have Thank to beg you. you to come back some other time so we can dig in deeper about um, getting more of us involved in the process and other things that we can do to further, you know, this work and the political revolution and just chop it up a bit more. Like, cause I'm running out of time because Ben has to come on after me, but you have been awesome and definitely I'm sure gave everyone uh, quite a bit to, to digest this evening. Um, so thank, thank you so you. much again. I appreciate thank it. And I know it was so much notice. for having me and for creating this space for everybody, because I think that's also important is that we now have spaces to have these conversations and yes. that didn't exist yes. before. We don't have to wait for CNN. And, you know, I say that as a friendly, as a friend of CNN, you know, this is, a, <laughs> this is important. Yes. So I really yes. value what you're doing and thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I greatly appreciate you. Enjoy the rest of your evening. And if you see Momita, please hug her for me. <laughs> I will definitely. Thank you. Okay. Good night. So wrapping it up, you guys, um, you know, this is what PA is all about. This progressing that army. Thank you so much to Miki. Like, like seriously, she literally, we reached out a little while ago. She literally stepped out of dinner to take some time to talk to us. So like, you know, big ups to her. Thank you so much. I mean, that was really some dope information she just dropped there. Um, shout out to my girl, Mamita Ahmed. You know, Mamita is, like I said, one of the sweetest people that I can ever think of. We've had to deal with this nonsense about the Bernie bros and the sexism and this, that enough for a year. We have all experienced, you know, different attacks from Hillary, male Hillary supporters, female Hillary supporters as well. And now we have on videotape um, one of our own being physically attacked by somebody like that's not okay cranky old man or not i mean you just can't go around hitting people with your cane dude like seriously i mean it's a it's, it's even huger that it's an older white man who hit a young you know muslim woman today right like like the the level of issues there is huge um just want to correct something real quickly before we close out for the evening um because i love i love my sis q q keeps me on my toes i misread earlier um, as of this, going back to the, the, the Texas, the abortion cases coming up before SCOTUS, um, as of June 9th, 2015, the Fifth Circuit was, has upheld the constitutionality of HB2, except as applied to Whole Woman's Health McAllen. This leaves only 10, 10 clinics in all of Texas. The only cities that have clinics now are Austin, San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, and McAllen. So there are 10 currently only 10 abortion clinics in the entire state of Texas. That is a huge problem. And if SCOTUS does not decide to overrule this, this, this overrule the lower court's ruling, that will remain in place until yet some other case is finally heard in front of a court. Um, this is what, when, when those people who are saying we need to consider, you know, Supreme Court appointments, if the rumors of Clarence Thomas, you know, retiring are true, when people say, you know, we need to consider appointments, this is the type of thing they're talking about. Do I feel that that's a valid reason, you know, to hold your nose and take the, 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 the H plunge? I really don't know. That's up for you to decide. I'm never going to tell any of you how to vote. I definitely will love and support you all, no matter who you vote for. I'm probably going to give you the side eye if you vote for Donald Trump. But you know what? One of my best friends apparently is doing the same. And yeah, 
So we all have the right to vote. Also, before we go, real, real quick, because I got to get out here and make room for Benjamin Dixon. I mean, this went flew by real fast. Again, shout out to Nomiki. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Um, real quick, our very own Flan Marcos wrote a sweet piece today on Progressive Army. I tweeted it out earlier. We'll tweet it out again. I'm not sure. I did not get a chance to read it. I skimmed through it. Um, and I already know from checking at lunch that he went through a whole big dish of documents from the Guccifer for the new Guccifer files. So he has a new piece out today on, on progressivearmy.com. I will retweet out the leads, the Lon Marcos, check them out on Twitter. Um, brilliant writer. I mean, we got a lot of brilliant writers. You guys heard from Pamela last week. Um, you know, Salam. I mean, we, we got tons of people who write for us who are awesome. Um, Kate, you know, lots of folks out there. So yeah, so that's, that's basically, you know, about it. Um, my, my quote for the evening, I don't really have a quote, but it's my shirt. Let me help you. I mean, let me help you help me. Let's help each other. Like, seriously, it's really that simple. I mean, we're all in this together. I don't mean to be too cheesy, but like for better or worse, even when there's criticism to be held, to be, to be doled out, even if we're not having the sweetest, nicest conversation. I mean, sometimes conversations get serious. They get real, they get rough, but I still love you. We still, we still all progressive army. You know what I'm saying? We, I mean, we, we got a lot of work ahead of us. It's not going to get any better just because we're going into the general election cycle. Cause we're going into the convention. Oh, last thing I wanted to mention, cause I completely forgot about it. Cause so much else happened today. Today, black men for Bernie announced the launch of their tour. They were in, they were in Ferguson with Michael Brown senior and Senator Cory Bush. Well, Senator, see, I'm already claimed it for you, sis. Um, uh, candidate, senatorial candidate, Cory Bush and other elected officials um, ahead of their Black Men for Bernie tour. They're making their way right back across the United States. And definitely check out their website. Check them out on Twitter, Black Men for Bernie. Um, they're going to be here in Atlanta sometime in July, Alabama. I mean, they're hitting up several different places. So try and get back with them if you can. And definitely support. Go check out uh, Cory Bush on Twitter um, and hook her, hit her up. So that is all from the evening. Let me help you. Let me help you find the way. You know what I'm saying? Because we need to keep continuing to have these spaces and have these conversations. And I'm out. Good night. The Way.